Yeah, Hebrews chapter 12. So go ahead, get ready, loosen up your fingers, shake them out. You're about to write a lot of notes, okay? Get ready, get a pen, whatever you got to do. Hebrews chapter 12, we're going to jump in. We're going to go fast and furious right now um, because we're going to be diving into something that you need to understand a little bit of background on. I say this a lot because remember, not everybody gets to come every week. Hebrews is being written to Jewish Christians, Jewish believers in Christ. They're being pressured, though, to speak less of Jesus. We just sing a song, I Speak Jesus. Well, they're being pressured to speak less of Jesus because it was offending people. They're like, hey, we've got the law. We've got the rules. We'll just obey our rules, and then we'll be good. Um, but this whole Jesus thing, you need to relax a little bit. And so they weren't speaking about Jesus as much as they really needed to be. And so they're being encouraged. No, no, no. you got to remember, and this, we say this often here, silence is concurring with. Please hear me, friends, about every issue in life. What you remain silent to, in time, you will end up concurring with. I tell this to other pastors all the time. They're like, well, I don't know if you, I can preach what you preach. If you don't preach the fullness of the Word of God, you will end up concurring with the world. All right? We got to get this. And so we've got to understand that that is the same for individuals. And so now all of a sudden the author of Hebrews is writing to all these Jewish Christians and saying, hey, listen, you need to make sure that you live for Christ no matter what. And these are people, because they're Jews, they had an Old Testament background, right? They knew what happened in the Old Testament. They knew what the backdrop of that story was, contextually speaking. They had oral tradition, and so they were always speaking about, hey, this is what happened before. This is what happened with Moses and with Abraham, these amazing uh, leaders in the faith, these forefathers. And so they knew these stories very, very well. We don't know them as well as they knew them, right? And so we're always having to reteach them and teach them over and over and over again because we don't live like that. But they were always speaking of these things and letting everyone know about those stories of old. Now, that's important for us to understand when it comes to Hebrews chapter 12. Because here's the author, and he's encouraging the reader, exhorting the reader to pursue holiness. And he's about, what he's going to do is he's going to compare what it is to know God based on the Mount Sinai, what the Old Testament was in some regards, not every, but some regards, versus what it is now. So two mountains you need to be aware of. Mount Sinai, which is where um, God gave Moses the ten all right, and then it's going to compare Mount Sinai to Mount Zion. Now, what I'm learning is a lot of people aren't aware of Mount Zion. That's where Jerusalem is. All right, so you got Mount Sinai, you got Mount Zion, and a lot of people are going, oh, do I really need to know this? Yes, you need to understand this. This is one of those common things that you need to be able to understand if you really want to be able to process the fullness of the Word of God for your life. So you got Mount Sinai, you got Mount Zion. You're going to see some of those differences right before this passage, Hebrews chapter 12. Pastor Jim preached this about a month and a half ago. It, I think it was about a month. It was a while ago. And right in Hebrews chapter 12, this is what it says in verse 16. It's, it's referencing what it is to live a life of holiness. And it gives us, it gives us a contrast with some, between somebody who is unholy. So it tells us in verse 16, it says, listen. Um, that no one is sexually immoral un or unholy. We want to pursue holiness. Don't be unholy like Esau, all right, who sold, like, here's Esau. He sold his birthright for a bowl of soup, all right? I mean, like, come on. Like, don't be unholy like Esau. You need to pursue holiness. 
So we're going to see this contrast in this passage today. I'm giving you a cheat sheet at the beginning of what it is and how we should be approaching God to pursue holiness, to have a fear of the Lord that is healthy, to have a fear of the Lord that is healthy, because we need to have a fear of the Lord. But some of the people weren't having a a healthy fear of the Lord. They, they, They had gotten it askew. So we're going to be able to examine that today. So let's go ahead. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 18 and following. Let's stand for the reading of the word of God. Here's, as it reads, Hebrews chapter 12, 18 and following. Um, Remember, this is after we're being instructed to pursue a life of holiness. Don't be unholy like Esau. And he says, for you have not come to what may be touched. Now, he's speaking to Jewish believers. He's, they're going to hear this differently, read this differently than we do. They're going to go, oh, and when they read these, uh, 18 through 20 is what this is. When they read these verses, when they hear these words, they're going to go, oh, yeah, this is the people of old. This is what happened, okay? Mount Sinai, that's where they're going. It's tied directly to Exodus chapter 19 and 20. I'll give you time to write that down later. Don't worry about it. Okay, here we go. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire of what? and gloom, and a tempest, and the sound of a, and a voice whose words made the hearers beg. The hearers of this were begging that no further messages be spoken to them, for they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I what? Tremble with what? Fear. Fear. It continues in. Now, Actually, go back if you would. This is Mount Sinai. I'm going to keep saying it because I don't think we get it. I know we don't get it. Right? Because I know how many people came to me after the first service and said, I had no idea. Right? So you have Mount Sinai. That was the first part. And yet then you've got these people who feared the Lord and they looked at Mount Sinai and what was taking place. We're going to get into that a little bit. And then it's going to, here's the compare and contrast to Mount Zion, which is where Jerusalem is. For you have not come to what may be... T- oh, get next one, sorry. But you have come to Mount... <laughs> all right, all right. I think that was on purpose. That's so, it's, it's all good. Um, you think I need tech for preaching? Um, but you have come to Mount Zion. Here's the change. To the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. And to, an, and to innumerable angels in fe- festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. This is the word of God. You may be seated. Now, I'm going to do my very best here because this is a passage I think a lot of us can scratch our head and go, what does that mean? So we're going to unpack this because it has a big, big impact on your life. Enormous impact on your life. So here he comes, right away, referring to Exodus chapter 19 and 20, because what was taking place, I'll go to it, you can just write it down, Exodus chapter 19 and 20, I preached Exodus a year ago, um, and what we find is, as I mentioned before, you got, okay, so you got Moses raised up by Pharaoh. He found him in a basket, his daughter did, right? Brought him in. 
He ends up doing all kinds of stuff, killed an Egyptian, ran away. God spoke to him through a burning, right? And so then he goes back because God says, I'm going to use you to set the people free. He speaks to Pharaoh after how many plagues? Ten plagues, they go into the wilderness. And we know that when they were in the wilderness, the people of God, it was very tumultuous to say the least. Like they're like, uh, they would obey God and then they disobey God and God would be like, you better obey me. And they're like, oh, we don't want to. And so then he had to, it was just, it was, oh my goodness. They're just like we are, right? That's how they were. And so here God was using Moses and yet Moses was often the one. He would go up on top of Mount Sinai. In Exodus chapter 20, we have what, what's called the 10 what? Ten Commandments, Exodus chapter 20. That should be, you should just, oh, where are the Ten Commandments? Exodus 20. All right. So right away, first 17 verses primarily. So here they are in Exodus chapter 20, and God is using Moses to speak to him the Ten Commandments, all these things. But it gives us a better picture of what was happening at Mount Sinai as well. And it was a hard time for the people. And God showed up in massive ways. It tells us in Exodus 20, verse 18 and following, It says, when all the people, this is Mount Sinai. They weren't allowed up on top to receive the Ten Commandments. Moses went up there. So here they are. We're all down at the bottom of the mountain, and they're looking up at the mountain, and this is what it says about what's taking place. All the people saw the thunder, the flashes of lightning, and the sound of the trumpet, and it was a big trumpet. You know, like I played trumpet in seventh grade for three weeks, and... I did. It was awesome. Sixth grade or seventh grade, I can't remember. But they, I think they literally came to me and said, will you not play? Um, I was like, that's rude. So I, I, I left and started playing nothing. Um, but the trumpet is playing and the mountain is, is, listen, the mountain is smoking. The people were, I mean, can you imagine? This is the presence of God. They're looking at the presence of God and they're going, wow. I, I wish we saw God in that way today with such enormity. Right, we got these mountains here in Hudsonville, and we would see. There, do we have a mountain? Or do we have a? I don't think we have a bump. Um, but if you look at it and you just go, "Wow, that's the presence of God." Here's the thing, friends. You got to know. We, I think, one of our struggles that we have with God and understanding what it is to even fear the Lord, which we're going to get into. One of the problems that we have with fearing the Lord is we think that God is here and we're here. No. We're here. God is here. There is no comparison. We've lost a sense of awe when it comes to God. We've lost a sense of awe when it comes to God. I think part of the reason we've lost a sense of awe is because we don't like anything, right, that could create a bit of anxiety or like, oh, no, what do I do in us? We had the most risk-adverse culture, they say, that we've had since World War II. Right? Anything that creates too much fear for us or too much, oh, we, we automatically translate that as anxiety. And we're like, oh, no, we can't do that. And anxiety and depression, all those things, very, very real. Hear me say that. But what I'm saying, though, also is that we live in a society where we don't like that feeling sometimes of like, oh, no, what's to come? I, 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 when I was in uh, high school, I took a camping class and I learned how to rock climb, rappel, all that stuff. So that was a great high school, right? We really focused on academics. And so I, I started rock climbing a lot, and I'd go up in the mountains of North Georgia. I've told some of this before, but I'd go up in the mountains of North Georgia, and there was a 320-foot railroad trestle in the mountains of North Georgia. And we'd strap the rope on. We got a rope that was at least 320 feet, and um, we would Aussie repel. That's where you strap it on the back, and we would just jump off that railroad trestle and just go head first. Like, it was so much fun to do. 
Like when you're 320 feet off the ground and you just jump, you have to wear multiple gloves because it would burn through your hand, right? And doesn't that sound fun? Anybody? Okay, awesome. Um, and uh, so you jump off and it's that feeling of, here it goes. You can imagine what that is. I think that should be a normal response to the understanding of the greatness of who God is. Now, truly, like, don't, don't run past this. That's how awesome my God is. That, oh, and it's taking your breath away, and you don't know. But, I mean, we were safe. Hear me say that, too. There was a water, body of water beneath the railroad trestle. It was at least eight inches deep. Um, we measured it. We're like, oh, it'll break our fall. Um, but that's, that feeling of jumping, and you go, oh. We don't, we don't have that anymore. We just live our life and we're like, oh yeah, God spoke to me when I was driving to work and I'm not saying that's a bad thing. He speaks to me driving to work. But we, we need those moments of looking at the mountain and the thunder is, is hitting and the lightning is flashing and the, the mountain is smoking because the presence of God is there. Well, they saw it and for some of them, it tells us they were afraid. It says, they saw all this, and it says the people were afraid and trembled. They stood far off and said to Moses, you speak to us and we'll listen, but don't let God speak to us lest we die. They were so overwhelmed by it, and, and, and they didn't have a, a pure understanding sometimes of what God was really desiring for them and, and the betterment that God had for the people. One of the reasons we struggle with God is because we don't understand that God's ways are to better us. We think our ways better us, and we don't understand the enormity of God, so we don't surrender to his will and his purpose and his ways. Right? You see the, the conundrum. We have a spiritual conundrum as believers today because we think God is here to meet our desires. No, we are to mold our hearts to his desires. And so they come before the Lord. And listen, Exodus 19 and 20 explains and tells us what Mount Sinai was like when Israel came. It explains what it was like when Israel came to Mount Sinai and spoke to Israel, but it also warns them in every possible way. And so here's what Sinai, remember Sinai, Mount Sinai, and Mount Zion. Mount Sinai is first. This is what Mount Sinai actually represented to the people, which is why they're like, no more, God. Moses, you can speak, but don't let God speak anymore because it's too much for us lest we die. Here's what Mount Sinai represented. This is where you should get a phone out, take a picture, or take some notes or something. You've got to understand this. This is the first part. Mount Sinai represented things like fear. It was in the desert, right? It was, it was all about speaking of earthly things. When Moses was only, he was the one who was allowed to draw near to God. He served as the mediator between God and the people, right? That's what was happening. It brought an old covenant ratified by the blood of animals. We know now that, yes, that we, we talk about that often here at Chapel Point. They had to bring the sacrifices before God to pay atonement for their sin. That happened before they even left Israel, remember? I mean, before they left Egypt, I'm sorry. Before they left Egypt. And so here he is, and they're able to speak about this old covenant. It was about the law, right? And the law is not necessarily bad. You need to understand that. It gives us guidance. It gives us fences, that's not a bad thing. Some people are like, oh, well, the law is no more. No, no, no. The law is still, like, that's important. We need to understand we live by grace now, but the law is good. And, but that 
what it was doing for them is it was only exposing sin. That's what Mount Sinai represented to them. And they, it created this fear on, uh, that, that, that really was not the fear of the Lord that this word, word of God is speaking about. It tells us that even Mo, in Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 19, um, it speaks about how Moses had, was fearful with trembling. That's another passage that represents the same story of Exodus 19 and 20 in Deuteronomy 9, 19, where it says, I'm, he says, I'm exceedingly afraid and trembling. And the, this fear that they ended up adopting, that they ended up having toward God, it wasn't promoting that holiness that we just spoke about in Hebrews chapter 12, that God was wanting for the people. It wasn't promoting the right thing. I mean, you know how messed up they are because, and that they really had an unhealthy, an unhealthy fear of the Lord. We need to have a fear of the Lord. But they had an unhealthy fear of the Lord. Why? Forty days after God gave them the Ten Commandments, they were worshiping a golden calf. They didn't get it. Right? They, they talk about a, they're Mount Sinai. You want to talk about a mountaintop experience and God comes down and the mountain is shaking and it's like, yeah, and some of you, maybe you've been to a camp before. You're like, oh yeah, I came to know God. It was a mountain high experience, blah, blah, blah. And then you come crashing down. God was there in a profound way and 40 days later, they're worshiping a false God, an idol. And we're doing that stuff all the time because they don't recognize, they think God is only here to tell you what you're doing wrong. No, God is here to guide you, but then through his son, now you're about to get to Mount Zion, which is a new covenant. Through his son, Jesus Christ, we can have a freedom in Christ that is marvelous because he's way up there. We're way down here and we're so just dumbfounded by the greatness of God, we can't help but worship him. That's what it is. In many regards, the way we are living today avoids God. Because the difference between you and God is so great, you're going to have some of these moments when you're 320 feet off the ground. Because he's so much greater than you. There's no comparison. I want to talk real quick about what it means to fear the Lord. Because it talks about the fear that they had at Mount Sinai. But then, it, wait, guys, it's just like the great commandment, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and body. But we're also commanded to fear the Lord. Everybody say, fear the Lord. We need to have a healthy fear of the Lord. We need that in our life. Um, it tells us in Deuteronomy chapter 10, it says, And now, O Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? What's the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God. To fear the Lord your God, to walk in all of his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all of your heart, and to serve the Lord your God with all of your soul. We need to fear the Lord. Um, Matthew, uh, Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, Jesus echoes the same thing. We know this. We understand that as we move forward. And so we need to have a proper fear of the Lord. Let me tell you what a proper, healthy fear of the Lord is, according to the Word of God. 
Fear of the Lord is having a proper affection and understanding of who God is. It's conducting yourself in a way that has a healthy relationship with God. Being mindful of who he is and what he has done in all aspects of our life. In fact, um, Paul David Tripp, who is an author that I enjoy reading, he, he says it like this. I'll put a quote up here for you. He, the, he talks about what it is to fear God. And this is what you have to evaluate. Do you have a fear of the Lord that does this? He says, to fear God means that my life is structured, your life. Nothing is held back from that. Your life is structured by a sense of awe, by a sense of worship obedience that flows out of recognizing him and all of his glory. To fear God, it it means that he becomes the most single, he's the single most important reference point for all that you desire, think, do, and say. So in everything that you're thinking, doing, and saying, you're first going to what does Christ require in this situation? What does God deserve in this situation? What is he asking of me in this situation? And the way that you're spending your resources and the way you're interacting in relationships, right? And the way that you're conducting your mannerisms, it doesn't matter what it is, right? So before you go move in with your girlfriend or your boyfriend out of wedlock, you're going, is this what's going to represent Christ? Or before you give all your money away and you do whatever you want and then you go, well, maybe I'll give a little bit back now because I've already done everything that I want. No, you don't function that way. Or before before you go to your neighbor and start yelling at them, you go, maybe I should start praying for them first. It, can, it, it impacts every part of your life. That's the, that's the enormity of God. If you have a healthy fear of God, it's the single most important reference point for everything you desire, think, and do. Is that the case for your life right now? Now, I'm asking you to answer that question rhetorically because most people don't answer questions they don't like. We automatically assume they're for someone else. Is God the most important reference point for all that you desire, think, do, and say? That is God your motive? Is God the goal of your life to give glory to God, to recognize who he is, and to make sure that everybody else knows that, man, you are overwhelmed by a God that you do not deserve? That's what it is to have a healthy fear of the Lord. The fear of God is meant to be the central organizing force in your life. That's what it is to have. But they didn't have that fear. That's what it is to have a fear of the Lord. They had a different type of fear. And so we need to know what that is. And it tells us in this passage in Exodus chapter 20, verse 20, he says, Moses said to the people, do do not fear for God has come to test you. Right? The wrong type. He's talking about that fear that was wrong. That was like, oh, he should go away. We don't want him to speak to us. It's a different type of thing. What we also find in Hebrews chapter 12, we know that Moses, he says, it refers to him. It says, indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses says, I tremble with fear. Verse 21, Hebrews 12. I tremble with fear. I tremble with fear. He's talking about Mount Sinai and the fear of the people and what they had toward God. And, he's like, and the author is writing to these Jewish believers who know this story. And he's like, no, no, there's a different type of fear you can understand. So you have Mount Sinai, yes. But then in verse 22, he says this powerful word. He says, but. But. Everybody say, but. But. 
He says very clearly, you have come to Mount Zion. So he's writing to Jewish believers. They know the law. They know the Old Testament. They know the background. They know the, con- the context. And he's saying, this is what this was, Mount Sinai. You saw everything it represented. But now you need to understand Mount Zion. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gatherings. And he starts diving in and letting them know. But because you come to Mount Zion... He's he's reminding them, guys, our relationship, this is directly speaking to each one of us, our relationship with God isn't modeled after Israel's experience at Mount Sinai. We're coming to Zion, associated with heaven. And yes, there's a few angels there at Mount Sinai, but now there's innumerable angels at Mount Zion. That's what this passage is speaking about. Right? When God gave Mount Sinai, that was mainly for Israel. When God's speaking of Mount Zion, that's for all people. And the work that Jesus did on Mount Zion, what that did was it satisfied the justice of God. And so knowing that, that changes your approach and your understanding of the fear of God. Here's another way. Mount Zion, here I'll give you some bullet points. I gave it to you on Mount Sinai. Mount Zion was a place of love and forgiveness. Right? It, it was a city of the living God. It was a general assembly invited to draw near. Jesus was a mediator, not Moses. And he was a mediator for all people, not just for the people of Israel. Right? It brought a new covenant ratified by the blood of Jesus. Instead of all the lambs and everything else, over and over, got to pay the cost, got to pay the cost, got to pay the cost. The the price has already been paid now through the blood of Jesus Christ. You see how this changes our posture? Mount Sinai versus Mount Zion, all of a sudden, and this is about grace, Mount Zion. Now again, it doesn't eliminate the need for law. It doesn't eliminate that. But what it does is it takes it to a new place where we go, wow. Look at what God has done for me. And the majority of people aren't having a healthy fear of the Lord. And if you don't have a healthy fear of the Lord, understanding what God has really done for you, then you, you may not truly understand salvation. I'm not going to judge that on you at all. I'm just simply saying this is part, part of salvation is understanding how small you are, but how glorious God is. And that Christ, even though we're sinners, has bridged that gap for us through his death and his resurrection. And as a result, you have a healthy fear of the Lord that causes you that in all that you do, act, say, speak, it does not matter, anything at all, you want to reflect His glory because you know that everything you have, you're undeserving of. That's what it is to understand salvation, what God has done for you. It's now Mount Sinai, it's Mount Zion. To have a fear of the Lord that comes from that, where Jesus is now, it tells us in the passage very clearly that Jesus is now the mediator of a new covenant. When we take communion, we always go to either Luke or 1 Corinthians. And we look at those passages, and both of those passages about the Lord's Supper talks about how Jesus Christ, when we take the, the juice, when we take that, it's symbolic, and we're taking that to remind ourselves of the new covenant that we now have in Jesus Christ. 
The old covenant is gone. The new covenant has stepped in. That's why he tells us in John chapter 13, 33 through 35. He says, man, you really want to know? Don't, don't just love others as, I, as you really want to be loved. Love others as I've loved you. This is the new, then he talks about a covenant, the new covenant that he's given to us. So we have a fear of the Lord that comes from this understanding that Jesus is a mediator of a new covenant. Mount Zion is based on a new covenant with Jesus being the mediator based on believing and then receiving. And it says to the, in the passage, to the, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. The blood of Jesus speaks better, is what this is saying about the blood of Abel. The, the, the blood of Jesus speaks better things than the blood of an animal sacrifice. The blood of Jesus did for us what we could never do for ourselves. That's what faith is. And one of the reasons we do not currently have a healthy understanding of the fear of the Lord is because we're living according to the wrong thing. And we don't, I don't think sometimes we want to be just absolutely overwhelmed by God. Where we're looking and going, oh, the lightning and the thunder and the ground is shaking and my home, my marriage. I love this, the story of transformation with Kelly because she's like, my home is different. I used to be angry and now I'm not angry and all these things. I'm like... Do you believe that God can step into your life, that he's so miraculous, so powerful, so empowering in who he is, that he can step into your life and radically change anything that's currently taking place? Do you believe in the power of God? Well, then step into a place so that God can work in your life. Stop holding it back. Release it to him. So that when you see the shaking of the ground and the storms coming and the lightning and the thunder and the smoke and everything else, you go, wow, that's because my God is so great. I have a fear of the Lord because I'm in awe of who he is. Sometimes we only want God to, to make better a broken life. Just, can, God, can you tweak this a little bit so it gets a little bit better? What if we just let God give us a new life? See the difference? To have a fear of the Lord that comes from an understanding of the grace of Christ. We know Proverbs 1.7 says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. We need to have a healthy fear of the Lord. To surrender to what he's done knowing that We could never have done it ourselves. Do you live a life, this is a very simple way to think about it, do you live a life that says your king conquered death? You're so overwhelmed by him, and people look at you like, why are you, why are you living the way you live? I have a, you just look at him, I have a king, and he conquered death, and so I have life eternal. I can't be happier. I'm, I'm dumbfounded by what he's done for me. I'm overwhelmed, bewildered, just complexed by it almost. But yet you just embrace it and you accept it and you believe in the power of Jesus. Do 
Do you believe in the power of Christ? Do you fear the Lord? And will you live according to Mount Zion? And all that is to come. Lord, I come before you and I thank you. I celebrate you. I worship you. And I ask that you give us a fear of the Lord. That you allow us to truly embrace and understand who you are and what you've done for us. God, that you would let us have the maturity to embrace what it is to sometimes feel that awe and that reverence because you're so majestic and we know that we're so small. We praise you, God, and we love you. Amen.